Welcome to A World on Fire, an all-star squadron podcast. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me for this episode is my co-host, Mark Gray. How are you, buddy? Hi, Billy. I am absolutely fine. I've spent the day working at the desk, but I'll get a day off in lieu at some point in the future. And It's been a beautiful day, although I haven't been able to enjoy it, but this is my reward for hard work, getting to talk to you about some fun comics. Oh, absolutely. And then you were, you know, you and I were just talking about how we both have a little, you know, some little trips planned coming up in the near future, and they're going to be a lot of fun, too. They do, yeah. I'm looking to be going to uh, Portugal, a place called Faro on the Algarve that I've never been to previously. So that should be fine. Just a little hop from the local airport abroad. So very, very lucky. Yeah, looking forward to getting away, as always. Although I just came back from a vacation, so I can't complain, to be honest with you. I should just uh, pipe down and get on with things, right? <laughs> oh, no, you you deserve a bit of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking of, you know, fun times and vacations, well, there's not going to be one for the All-Star Squadron because they might be kind of getting out of the tail end of the crisis, but they're still shenanigans afoot here. And you and I are actually going to cover three issues in this episode Mainly because All-Star Squadron 57 only uh, covers like three or four pages of new content and the rest is, uh, you know, uh, the retold, reprinted, retold stories, rehashed stories of the uh, Shanghai in space uh, routine. And we already went over that, you know, in another episode previously and talked about those. I think you, myself and uh, Sean all talked about those, uh, you know, a few episodes back. So we're going to just kind of concentrate on the new material in these and and move forward with uh, what's going on, kind of like Roy Thomas was trying to do, right? I think that's fair, enough because, you know, since we haven't been in, you know, inundated by popular demand with people saying, you know, I want to know about another JSA member going to a planet, meeting people, solving a problem, getting given a gift that's never mentioned again, and then going back to Earth. So the heck with it. Yeah, and I mean, hey, if any of the listeners really want to check that out, it's on the DC app. So if you don't have the app, get the app. And if you have it, just look that one up because they have that issue on there that you can uh, check out and, you know, go in depth if you want to. Check out the word, Billy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right. So let's start off here. All-Star Squadron 57, and this is a cover date, May 1986. And, you know, we have uh, a cover by uh, Mike Clark and Jerry Aserno who I don't know very well, but uh, what are your thoughts on this cover here, Mark? We have, uh, you know, three of our heroes front and center. That's a funny one. I mean, Jerry Aserno, didn't he draw the that flash pin up a couple of issues ago in the gold? Yeah. Game? We like mm-hmm. that. Is this cover? Ooh, let me see. Well, I, I, I love the covers, but boy, the faces are so awkward, especially our man, he looks like a chipmunk or Mr. Peanut or something, and Starman... <laughs> He looks the best, but he looks, he looks like Law and Order actor Christopher Maloney to my eyes. And and what's that behind the cosmic rod? Is it a puff of smoke, a floating brain, a space haggis? Yeah, this cover it has a couple of things I really like and a couple of things I don't really like. You know, I like how it's purple. It's got a really awesome, cool purple background with all the yeah. stars and stuff like that, like the cosmos. And I do love, like, floating head covers. So there's some floating heads, faces in the background oh. here, but... Yeah, the three heroes front and center, uh, like you said, Wonder Woman, she just her face looks off to me. I don't I don't really like she doesn't look like Wonder Woman to me. I don't know what's going on there. Well, you do look at look, the proportions. I mean, if, if you sort of, it looks like Starman's like the Hulk compared to Wonder Woman. Look at his fist behind her back. And, mm-hmm. and again, that, that hour man, he just looks bonkers. 
<laughs> he does. And I do like, uh, you know, Starman's cape, how it's kind of flowing around and have some green there in the background. But yeah, I just, and then Al Pratt looks like he's surprised, like there's something happening in front of them that's, you know, got him in shock and awe. His eyes are wide open and you would assume his mouth is agape under his, uh, you know, mask there. But the other two, you know, uh, Wonder Woman looks like, yeah, like whatever, like she's very laid back. Yeah. And like I said, Starman looks like he's got this grimace on and he doesn't even have any eyes. <laughs> Been there, yeah. And I don't even know who that is by Bat. Is that is that is that Batman and Superman at the left? I can't even tell. Yeah, I think that's supposed to be Batman. And yeah, I can't tell if that's supposed to be Superman either. Maybe it's Doctor Occult. Who knows, right? <laughs> yes, you just cannot tell. You're very alike. Yeah, so you know, eh, thumbs kind of sideways on the cover here. It's just it's just okay. But uh, you know, we have uh, interiors, we have our boy, uh, Roy the boy Thomas, you know, with his uh, script and story here, and then uh, Mike Clark. And Vinny Coletta uh, on uh, pencils and inks, Carl Gafford colors, and David Cody Weiss on letters. But this one is very, uh, like I said, it's it's only three pages in the front and one page in the back. And it basically just shows, um, you know, some of the uh, All-Star Squadron coming back to Earth 2 from uh, their previous uh, engagement elsewhere in the universe due to crisis. And uh, we see uh, Dr. Fate and uh, Dr. Occult try to locate the missing JSAers that are still lost in the uh, the elsewhere. Um, so it's, you know, again, nothing really exciting happens. That's pretty much all that happens. And then we have some, you know, okay artwork, you know, no offense to Mr. Coletta and his fans, but it, it some of the faces just look okay. And the backgrounds just look a little okay. It's, it's nothing real exciting about this issue, if you ask me now. That's just my opinion. What do you think? I think that's a very, very fair opinion. I mean, I, I can't remember. I mean, I was buying it at the time, but I would imagine I was pretty disappointed by this issue because I just honestly don't understand what Roy's motivation was for re retelling a story. If you're going to retell an old story, you know, do lots of new things with it, you know, give us new scenes, different thoughts. And here you get you get a few different things here and there, but it's just I just don't think it's justified enough to to do all to do all the other the other stuff in there, you know. But mm -hmm. I mean, the little, the, the, as for the little bits of new stuff, it, it, I mean, when it opens with that that bit of uh, crisis law that never made sense to me about it taking the crisis taking place in all the eras at the same time, I could never get my head around that, Billy. The idea that you know it was happening in all eras at all all the same time. Why isn't it happening in every single comic that we've ever read? If it does, if it says something like it's happening for three days in every year that ever had, or something something contained like that but I mean, at least he, in the in the upcoming issues we get a reason as to why why the crisis is still going on here the red skies when it's ended in 1985 but i can't get my head around the, the, the crisis time at all yeah it's like you said i don't I guess this maybe maybe this was, you know, a favorite story of Roy's with, you know, the Shanghai in space. Maybe that's why he wanted to incorporate it in there. And I mean, there, there's some good artwork in there. You know, the Starman one is uh, Arvel Jones and Alfredo Alcala. So that, it, that's nice artwork. But just inserting these in rather than having just new content, uh, you know, with the All-Star Squadron, whatever he had to do to try to make new stories amidst the crisis here. I feel like something just more contemporary would have been better. Absolutely, but I suppose he was probably preparing the issues at the point at which he still thought there was going to be an Earth, an Earth 2, because if you read the letter columns, he, it, was, it was quite late in the day when he was told, no, you can't have Earth 2 at all, so he probably didn't realise that he was you know, wasting precious superhero real estate when he could have been giving us a little more Earth 2, because you think, you think the, the comic started in 
in December 1941 in their time, and we've got as far as April 1942, and it's just sad really that we didn't get more of it. But that's the way the crisis crumbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was definitely, uh, you know, like we've said before in the past, it wasn't doing any favors to somebody like Roy Thomas writing these stories, the crisis. So, all right, well, okay. So what about, why don't we just slowly here uh, creep into issue number 58, which is, you know, it does have its uh, Shanghai in space, uh, you know, uh, chapter in it as well, but it does have a lot of new content in this one. So uh, why don't you take it away, sir, with All-Star Squadron number 58. And that's uh, close to being the same thing. It's uh, we got, you know, uh, Roy Thomas, Arvel Jones, and Tony DiZuniga is who we have on that one. And uh, that's, that's, you know, that's a pretty good team right there. Um, and then interiors that we get the Vince Coletta inks again, and Tony was on the cover. So what about this cover? What do you think of this one? This one's much better, right? I think it rather is. It's, it's, it's just, well, you know, the, the artwork's just better, full, full stop. And let me see what else I'm, I'm just running back to it. Yes, this cover. This cover is just wonderful. It's, it's one of my favourites of the series, actually. Although, I, mean, I love the energy of the composition with the heroes coming in from the left and full full of robot man to the right in front of a block of colours to highlight his mis- misplaced passion. I mean, I should probably just dis- describe the cover, which basically mm-hmm. is, on the left, as I say, we have a firebrand, Dr. Fate, Green Lantern and Johnny Quick sort of confronting, and we'll find out why later, robot man and a mysterious female robot. And Robert Man saying, keep back no matter what Mechanic has done. She's mine. Which is <laughs> a little bit sinister. And, uh, and then there's a little, a little uh, blurb at the bottom. Extra Johnny Thunder, which I would imagine would have driven many extra sales. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but as I say, I just think it's a, a fantastic cover by by Mr. Jones and Mr. Jezuniga or Messers. What do you think of it? Yes, I like it quite a bit. Like you said, the uh, the characters are a huge step up from the previous cover. All the characters look exactly the way we've basically come to know them throughout this series. They look great. And then you have the bit of mystery here with uh, this new character, Mechanique, especially if you haven't read any Infinity Inc. at this point. That's where she debuted um, Infinity Inc. I think it's 19. But yeah, if you haven't read that, you're really like, well, what's going on? Who is this character? So yeah, some mystery there and only one little, you know, kind of blurb and the characters look fantastic. I really love this one. Yeah, it is brilliant. Because Infinity Inc. was at that point a direct, well, was, I think it was always direct sales only and I couldn't get it in the UK at that point. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't know, I didn't know about Mick. Mechanique, but you know, she looked a bit familiar, and there's a reason for that, isn't there? But we'll find out that again. Shall I do a little bit of Percy then? Yes, sir. Go right ahead. Okie doke. So, this issue it begins one early April 1942 morning in New York, New York. There's a few people in the street are startled to see something blast into an alley from the sky. It's a robot with a load of damage to its feminine form. The metal woman is for some reason annoyed when she sees a poster for the New York World's Fair on a wall and she rips it down, or it rips it down, I don't know, that's probably part of the issue's questions, she or it, and the robot blasts the unfortunate tramp that's in the alley. He swears to give up drinking and join the Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. Later, later, the All-Stars are repairing their pearls for your HQ after the recent rampage by the Legion of Oom. Robot Man takes one look at their mangled robot valley of Gernsback and gets touchy when he thinks that our man is likening him, Robot Man, to the very basic World's Fair leftover. 
He's especially upset because being a brain in a metal frame is messing up his love life, causing him to have broken up with his fleshy fiancée. Liberty Bell, meanwhile, tells new groom Johnny Quick that she plans to resign as chairwoman of the All-Stars so that she'll have time to be a better wife to him. Sandy the Golden Boy comforts Hawkwoman, who's upset that Hawkman is one of the GSA members lost in hyperspace. Meanwhile, outside, the Fembot staggers towards the entrance to the Perisphere and is intrigued by Gern's back. She finds that, unlike her shiny self, he's incapable of independent thought. The two fight as Gernsback tries to prevent her accessing the HQ, with her being an intruder and all. She soon puts down the primitive robot. Our man asks Firebrand out on a date to see the Glen Miller Band, but she's no time for him, having decided not to date fellow heroes. It's too complicated, she says. Tarantula shows up and acts like a jealous oaf. Firebrand, Danette, goes to the bathroom and is surprised to find the golden robot, as he would be. The stranger blasts her through the wall and then runs into the other all-stars and reveals, or rather claims, that she doesn't know who she is. Nevertheless, she starts fighting the heroes, saying that they're all in her way. She gives Johnny Quick a bit of a beating, angering Libby, who uses her new sonic powers to blast the robot. Robot Man speaks up for the stranger, saying that maybe she's confused and doesn't really want to hurt them. The other all-stars wade in and Robot Man dives in front of Dr. Fate before he can blast the metal woman. He says that if anyone wants to hurt her, they'll have to go through him, because she may be as human as they are. Robot Man leans over the stricken creation, and she mutters a single word, Rotvang. Robot Man takes the she-robot to his lab to fix her up. He fails to see the evil gleam in her eye. Meanwhile, in the Shanghai Interspace Interlude, Johnny Thunder has an adventure with giant talking ants on pseudo-mercury. No one cares. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. But <laughs> Okay, so, all right. Well, I got to tell you, one thing struck me as odd about this story. I don't recall Robot Man being this uh, snappy towards the other All-Stars. I think maybe in the last couple issues, he had some like personal thoughts to himself you know, about certain things that he wasn't real happy about and you know like you said him uh, you know uh, going back to thinking about you know his uh, former fiance and how that didn't work out and having some of these thoughts and things like that and emotions but i don't remember him getting like this snappy like he seemed to really turn around here very quickly what do you think i'm with you billy it just seems so out of nowhere and for me one of my favorite all-stars this this time robert man is just a total a total jerk you know it's like you know, he's, he's given up on, you know, love with a, a regular woman. And then, you know, just because someone, another robot comes along and she's got, it's in the female form. It's like he's just decided this is the one for me. It's very much sort of Roy Thomas, silver, silver, late, silver early Bronze Age, Marvel type drama. It's sort of thing that would happen in the Avengers every other month. You know, someone would turn up and people would have huge emotions for no reason at all, really. Yeah, it was a big swing, I thought. You know, it didn't happen as organically as maybe it should have. It seemed to really kick into high gear out of nowhere. And that kind of, I don't say it bothered me, but it did definitely stick out for me in this uh, story. But <laughs> that very first page, I love how we see a sailor and a, a, an army uh, uh, a private or something there with two women walking down the street. And then all of a sudden it shows a cop and he's singing to himself, pistol packing mama. <laughs> and then when Mechanico's flying by, you know, it shows him in a panel and then the ladies and the servicemen and then uh, another guy there. I don't know who that guy is. Uh, maybe he's just like a, 
a trash man or something here. Uh, and as a, the thing, uh, mechanique whizzes by. Yeah, I, I love that. Just just putting all the people in. It adds texture to the book. I mean, like as if you're watching something like On the Town with all this. It was the sailors and things, and you can bet that Roy Thomas would have looked at what the hit records were in that month, and Pistol Pack and Marvin would have been in there. Yeah, I think so, and we get a good splash page there of Mechanique, you know, and like I said, with her and the uh, the homeless guy in the alleyway, I think it says he was like, you know, a businessman that from the stock market crash or something like that, he lost his money in business, and also he's like a homeless guy now. That's a really, a really good page there. I like that one quite a bit, and like I said, then she grabs the New York oh, World's Fair poster snatches and zaps him it's, it's great but do you want to know how sad i am as a reader who's very familiar and a big fan of roy thomas i am so sad that the man who's down on his look after the wall street crash his name buzzy b-u-z-z-y <laughs> roy tells us that being blasted in the bottom by mechanique would be the most important moment in his life so comic fan that made me wonder if he became someone in dc comics so i remembered that there'd been a humor character named buzzy i looked it up and Buzzy actually is a hunky blonde teenager, not a grizzled old soak. Don't do this to me, Roy Thomas. But you know what, Billy? I have ordered a very cheap issue of a Buzzy comic on eBay, and so that's something. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, good job there uh, researching that, because I just thought it was just shenanigans. I didn't think there was anything behind that at all. <laughs> oh, Roy Thomas, everything's connected, but in fact, it's not. <laughs> that's funny. I think it's just because it, the most important moment is like because he just does the traditional oh I'm never going to drink again bit that you always get. Yeah. So, and then we get to that page uh, or that part of the story here early on where it shows uh, you know the All Stars and JSAers and everybody here repairing uh, their headquarters after it was smashed a bit by Oom and the other goons. But that's a pretty good double page uh, spread there on uh, what is it four and five? What did you think of that? I thought that looked pretty good. Ah, just looked at a bit, Billy. I mean, it's just so, so busy. I mean, Arvel Jones, I don't know what he was getting paid, but he's not getting paid enough. And I just, I just fantastic stuff. It's really, really, and, you know, coming up, there's an even, in another issue, an even more amazing splash page. But that's coming up, as I say. But uh, <laughs> I laughed at the, uh, the the title I sing of the body robotic because of course I I didn't know that it was that it was you know I knew it was referencing something and then obviously you know it's a poem by Walt Walt Whitman I I sing the body electric I knew that I knew the title didn't know where it was from looked it up but I only know that line from uh, the kids from Fame they had a song mm. it's like I sing the body electric it was awful. <laughs> that's great yeah i knew that was a reference to something literary when i started to look it up and i thought oh because you know roy did that too you know he would throw some literary references in there every once in a while as well like you said on top pop culture stuff from back in the the 40s oh constantly i, I just i just wish someone i wish we had a roy thomas of today i really do just you know sort of expanding our mind a little bit and just putting things in a, a much bigger context it's just such fun but yeah, that's flash double play double page spread is great. I love Superman. He's like front and center, but then Hawk Girl's right there on your left carrying some, you know, steel, you know, uh pieces of uh, metal there for him to like weld on there with his heat vision. And you have Dr. Fade helping and Firebrand and GL. I absolutely love that. It's just it's one of my favorites of these later issues. Uh, it, it it really is. I mean, just it's just it's just wonderful. I mean, just like Johnny Quick doing doing the painting there, and you know, yeah, amazing man stretching himself out, and a few people here and there thinking, I'm not as good as the others at being a decorator because I'm not super fast, but who cares? You're there, you're doing something, and you're looking jolly awesome. 
Yeah, and then, you know, they, they have, you know, like I said, you know, you were saying to a robot man, you know, kind of gets a little snappy there in the beginning, and the rest of the uh, team decides, well, we're going to go inside and have some coffee, and that's when robot man is thinking to himself about, you know, his former fiance and all that stuff that went down and, you know, didn't go well for him. And then he seems to kind of snap out of it and act like, Hey, everything's okay. And, you know, he goes back inside and the team's back to work on the inside of it. And <laughs> my favorite panel in this entire book, uh, we have Johnny, uh, <laughs> Libby yells to him, Johnny, can I see you in private for a second, please? And the <laughs> next panel down, he says, Hey, why not? We're still officially on a honeymoon. Right. And she says, that's sort of what I need to talk to you. And he said, Solid. They don't call me Johnny Quick for nothing. Oh, John, no. <laughs> Garrick in more, more recent times, but I think Roy certainly got there first. But what what did you actually think of Libby's, Libby's decision here? Well, you know, I when she explains it to him, I think to myself, oh, okay, I sort of understand, but I liked her being, you know, the chairperson. I think most of the, you know, really fun stories were with her as a chairperson. And then when she really, you know, came into being a more prominent, you know, role on the team, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it just makes no sense. Because, I mean, she's always been presented as, as you say, as so super competent. So surely she could be superhero chairwoman, a career woman and, and a wife. And it's like, since you get married, but she's, she's we've already seen that she's going against tradition by keeping her own, keeping her own name. And she's not going to be called, called Libby Chamber. She's going to be called Libby... Lawrence still so you know why would she be even be sort of falling into the i've got to be a little wifey and you know be less than i can be just terrible yeah yeah and i didn't get to like i understand they do all have or or some of them do have you know uh regular personas outside of being a superhero but you know even if you're looking at these comic books as you know only presenting 75 percent of their lives during this time period that's such a little tiny bit of being, you know, uh, uh, Libby Lawrence, you know, doing her job as like a, you know, her her career outside of her, you know, all-star uniform. I feel like they all kind of, I don't want to say given up on those, you know, careers, but it's obvious they love being superheroes and they're doing a great job and they're doing more for, you know, the war effort at least and, and superheroing, you know, than they were in their, you know, everyday guys so i just think to myself you, you could be a wife and be a superhero that's okay you know you didn't even really need to add in you know what she had been doing beforehand i mean i could i think she was a reporter or something you know i think yeah. in the previous you know five years worth i don't know if we've even ever seen her being a reporter i think we've, we've seen him in series at the odd party here and there but i mean she's she's rich she can afford not to you know she doesn't have to work just get get doing like you say get doing this for the war if it's yeah, just be an awesome superhero on the team and lead the team. Because, again, if she steps down, who's going to take over as leader of the team? And it's not that there's nobody else that could, you know, fill in and do okay. But I think she really had settled in as a, a really good team leader. So, yeah, that kind of sucks. Yeah, she, she, she'd earned her stripes because, you know, everyone, everyone trusts and respects her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Still, coming up is... There's uh, something something else that I like that I do. I I love the scenes of sort of Sandy giving Hawkgirl support because they've been getting a little bit of a relationship going on the last few issues, a friendship, and he you know mm -hmm. she's maternal towards him, and he's you know I, I don't know whether he's actually an orphan or not because I, I went back and looked at his again sort of ten seconds of research, looked at his first appearance, I think Adventure Comics or More Fun or somewhere or and he, he just he just turns up in a costume because he's. He, he worships Sandman in his new costume. He's trained himself to be a, 
mini Sandman, but it doesn't mention whether he has any parents. He just adventures with Sandman after that. So I, I imagine he's an orphan. So maybe he just wants a mother figure. But it's just, it's just lovely seeing different generations of heroes already being friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that interaction between uh, Hawker and Sandy. That was really nice. That's one of those moments where amidst you know all this chaos of you know the war and rebuilding the trashed you know uh, headquarters and then what's about to happen. You know, like you said with the uh, mechanique. You know, there was just like, you know, a quiet moment with just two of the characters. I, I really enjoyed that. And then you even had, you know, another panel here, just one panel, but our man again, kind of saying, you know, like he feels like a fifth wheel out there because, you know, he doesn't have any powers and can't take his Baraklo pills anymore. So I kind of feel bad for him. <laughs> yeah, and we got the obligatory floating head of Hawkman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how to get on, it in there somehow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But on the, on the, how, do you, do you think Danette really is thinking she doesn't want to date someone on the team, or do you think she just doesn't want to date our man because he wears a towel on his back? I think she just doesn't want to date our man because, boy, does she jump at an opportunity to be with Sir Justin here on a little mission in a, in a minute we'll talk about. So I think she doesn't just look like our man, but why did Tarantula have to stick his nose into it? What was that all about? <laughs> I don't, I don't. <laughs> What a jerk. <laughs> What does he say to him after she says to our man, I don't really want to date anybody. Things get too complicated. And uh, he said, all the more reason I should ditch this zoot suit since I've had to swear off Miraculo anyway. And then Tarantula, excuse me, pal, but you hand out hankies with your sob story. I was like, wow, yeah. man. <laughs> I think I mean, that Johnny Law, he's, not, he's never been that bad to people before. You think he'd want to keep everyone on side so he can interview them for his book. <laughs> Yeah, I think I felt like in the past, if there was somebody on a team that was having some kind of, you know, issues, he would have been like, hey, OK, let's talk about it. He wouldn't have said something like that. So he's very well snarky here. I don't know what's up with him. I don't know. There's something in the water, this issue, perhaps some of that, uh, that sword that made Power Girl bad tempered sometime. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. And then we have uh, Superman and, you know, the Flash exit here. Uh, right on cue because there's going to be trouble that, you know, they could take care of in the snap of a fingers. But. It's going to be a little bit more trouble for the All-Stars to handle, you know, without that kind of muscle. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things that when I was a kid, if I would have read this, it would have went right over my head. But, you know, now as a little bit uh, older and, you know, reading things and trying to read into things, you see, like, obviously Roy was like, OK, we need to get Superman and Flash out of the way because, you know, Mechanique wouldn't be able to stand up to either of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. You could just melt, melt the slag. Yeah, I would have been like, wow, that was just in time that they left for her to come in. Like, it would have yeah. went right over my head as a kid. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm not sure whether Superman was using vision powers particularly by that time. But if if Roy decided that Superman had the X-ray vision, he could have just looked inside her head and said, Robert Man, no, she's not a human. You know, she mm-hmm. has brains, so let's not worry too much about bashing her up. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like you said, uh, they, you know, get into a pretty big brawl with her. Um, until Libby uses her new uh, powers um, to uh, stop her with her sonic blast, which is cool to see her, you know. We oh, haven't seen her use that much. I, I love it. What the, the ding-dong death ray or whatever. In fact, it doesn't happen here. But it's good. Actually, <laughs> going back a wee, a wee way back into the alley, did, did, did you understand why Mechanic pulled the poster off the wall? I, didn't, I, didn't, I had no idea why. No, huh? Yeah, no. And I I just quickly skimmed through that issue uh, with her debut in Infinity Inc. where her and Steel show up um, on Earth 2 and recruit uh, Infinity Inc. to go fight the JLA. And of course, I haven't read 
past like issue maybe 13 of infinity inc and i've read none of that jla era either so it the the issue absolutely meant nothing to me and they explained nothing really about mechanique no no she's she's a mystery but we'll we'll, we'll find out more <laughs> yeah so she does get the drop on them though but man dr fate he was a little uh over the edge in this issue too i mean i get it they think oh it's just a robot and she's you know attacking people but Man, Dr. Fate, he really starts smashing on Mechanique here, and he grabs the robot by the head and goes to smash her face in, and that's when uh, Robot Man uh, jumps in here. And Yeah, he seems a bit overzealous, like we said. He kind of went from you know, jogging to uh, sprinting with his uh, attitude towards the same teammates he's had now for you know how many issues where they were through thick and thin together, and he kind of turns on them in lieu of a, a robot he doesn't even know pretty quick. Yeah, we see, well, we've been getting you know panels regularly since he's lost his major powers with the with the regular helmet of Nabu, and he's he's quite often saying, you know, I still you know I may not have all my mystic powers, but I still you know can punch people in this. So I think he's just trying to trying too hard to prove himself. Mm, yeah, could be, and I do love that panel uh, on uh, page what is it fifteen there where you know Robot Man standing there and says stop, and so, you know they say Rob, what the devil? That's a really nice panel there. I will. Uh, I'll give uh, the art team the credit there. You know, like I said, I, th this is a good issue art-wise. It's good artwork. I'm not, you know, slamming it at all, even though it's, you know, Coletta inked. But that's a good panel. I really like that one right there. I, I like it too. And I, I like the, uh, the, the the lines of force towards the, the corner of the, the panel, the sort of thing that Sal Buscema would always do when he had Hulk punching someone. He'd have it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it worked very well. Yeah, and then even there's a small panel just with Robot Man's eyes, and he looks kind of sinister there. And he says, "Strike that fallen robot again, Doctor Fate, and I'll wade into you myself." Because <laughs> yeah, you know he's like, you know, you, you could leave Robot Pal normally, although like we say, this issue he's been rather tetchy. But you know, he's 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 got the inhuman look about him, as opposed to someone like uh, Gernsback, who just looks so delightfully delightfully pathetic and useless and nosy. I mean, other <laughs> Or Gurns back when he's, you know, just before Robot Man picks him up and carries him into the perosphere. It's just looking so empathetic and I know it, you know, it's just sad. Yeah, yeah, that look on his face like, help me. <laughs> yeah. <kinda> funny. <laughs> oh, I, I would have replaced Robot Man with Gurns back after the way Robot Man's acted this issue. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But yeah, it's funny. It's like they, you know, he picks up Mechanique and just walks off and says he's going to his private lab. And um, none of them actually. I mean, you do see Our Man and Tarantula there, and they do have a little, you know, tiny bit of a back and forth here about, you know, whether or not it's a robot or not, or should be scrapped or, you know, this or that. But nobody else in the entire group there objects to him taking her in this issue, which I find funny because, you know, we'll get into the next issue. That that becomes a hot button subject right out of the gate here. It does. It does. It's funny. So, so with, you know, Tarantula. Tarantula, you know, suddenly comes out though with, you know, maybe she has truly come in peace. Well, they, they haven't, I mean, on the one hand, the idea that, you know, perhaps she's a brain in a robot body like Robot Man, that isn't actually sort of laid out properly. That's that's the reason until the next issue. I, I didn't quite grab, grab onto that at this point. So at this point, they've got no reason to think that she might be anything other than what she seems as, you know, a threat to the JSA, but but it's the All Stars rather, but he's like, Maybe you truly did come in pieces. Like, yeah, why would you think that? Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like, you know, Robot Man, you know, changed his, you know, attitudes very quickly and in, in the opposite direction. But then also, you know, the All-Stars, they were kind of just ready to, you know, smash this robot when it just showed up and said, I don't know who I am or I don't know what I'm doing here. And, 
you know, they were already kind of like in attack mode right away and didn't really even give <laughs> Mechanique a chance to say what's going on or try to figure anything out before they were ready to just, you know, fight, fight, fight. So, yeah, some interesting uh, dichotomies here with this one. I, I do enjoy that. There's some, some good stuff there. And like I said, with the sinister eyes at the end of the issue here, it kind of ends on a good cliffhanger. Again, yeah, it, it is just fantastic that, you know, Arville Jones and, bless him, Vinnie Coletta just managed to do such a good job make, making the robot, the three robots human in this issue. They're brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, can't go wrong here, so... All right, well, if you're ready to move on to the next one, we can do so. I'm happy with that, yes. I'm going to go over to be ready to the cover of All-Star Squadron 59. Yeah, this one's Arvel Jones and Tony DiZuniga again, and I got to be honest, I like this one quite a bit as well. What do you think? Ah, wonderful stuff. It reminds me of one of the Crisis on Infinite Earth issues with the floating heads. I mean, and you know how much we love floating heads between us, me, you, and Sean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But, but it's just such a dramatic composition because it's it's I suppose it's uh, you know pointing towards the vote that comes in the issue when we see them all say yes or no but that comes up in the crazy but what I particularly like in terms of the colour is that you have everyone's head is in you know light blue except for the spectre who has his own little hyperspatial adventure this time which I think is pretty clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know when you if you would try to describe this cover and you'd say well. It's like a gray background or, you know, whatever. And it probably doesn't sound like a really good cover when you would describe it, maybe. But it is. It's really, really good. There's some good contrasts here. And Mechanique's right up front. And this, like, yellow golden color with these sinister-looking reddish-pinkish eyes. And like I said, the Spectre stands out there, too, because he's his normal green and, you know, white chalky skin. So I think this is a really good cover. It's it's definitely one of my favorites. It's just wonderful. I like, I like the robot man, who's obviously one of the central characters, is right in front of the logo. And, and again, I think it's quite nice that the logo, the, no, the normal uh, telescoping effect under the, under the letters, is just like the beams of light, which match the beams of light that seem to be coming from mechanics, backs, shoulders or something. It's clever stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. Very well uh, laid out cover for sure. So, all right, well, this is... Uh... Issue, uh, like I said, number 59, and this one was uh, July 1986 uh, cover date. And then we had, uh, of course, uh, Roy the Boy Thomas and Dan Thomas as well as co-plotter on this one. And then Arvel Jones and uh, inks by uh, Vince Coletta. And then uh, it also says, it's interesting that uh, there's DiZuniga in there as well. So there's some pages that are one and some pages that are the other inker in here. But uh, I didn't really notice too much. I didn't like try to take a real keen eye to it but i think uh those two guys uh tried to do a pretty good job of staying consistent there so that was cool and then carl gafford colors and david cody weiss on letters so all right sir well if you're ready i'll jump right into this one get in there my son okay so story begins with aquaman arriving at all-star squadron hq to a packed house we still have eight jsayers that are missing and in other news we see uh, Robot Man informed the team that his that he's repaired Mechanique and is uh, quite snippy with them about it. The team votes as to whether or not they should take possession of the robot, and they do so in favor of that decision. So then we see GL, Airwave, Firebrand, and Sir Justin head out to Robot Man's lab. As soon as they arrive, you can feel the tension, and after a brief back and forth, GL attempts to contain the power in the equipment 
but Robbie backhands him, and the fight is on. It's As they brawl, the machine overloads, and a huge explosion rocks the lab. Robbie thinks they've destroyed Mechanique, but she appears and threatens to kill anyone that steps toward Robbie. Okay, my friend, what were your thoughts overall on this one? Absolutely loved it. This is one of one of the best issues I would say of the whole the whole sort of six odd years of All Star Squadron because it's just you get a huge amount of heroes in there, loads and loads of characterization in terms of the the, mix, the mixing at the start. It's like one massive JSA GLA type meeting where people are just sort of you know doing little bits of chat here and there. You have a continuation of the mystery of of mechanique, uh, and you have the. <laughs> The very dubious redesign of her by Robot Man, which sees it instead of being just like a straightforward robot body, he's now made it look like she's got like a low cut dress with her bust hanging over the top. Nice. <laughs> I mean, did you notice that? <laughs> yeah, I did think to myself she looked a little more shapely in this issue. <laughs> Good grief! I, I I just thought it was brilliant. I mean, there's there's little there's little bits that I would have changed if I was the editor, which given that Roy is the writer and editor, that's not going to happen. But the uh, what did you think of the, the bit of the bit of drama at the beginning with who is the mysterious figure, Aquaman? Yeah, that's something I was going to ask you about. So I have, you know, you are a long time uh, DC reader where I am not. So I wanted to ask you, I was under the impression for a long time that there was a debate whether or not there was an Earth 2 Aquaman. So what's the mystery behind that? I think basically it's because Aquaman along with the uh, Green Arrow, Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman, was one of the few heroes that survived in continuous publication through to, from the Golden Age to the Silver Age. So oh. at one point in the late 50s, you got a different, a new, a new origin Aquaman. You know, some people were like, oh, it's the same, been the same Aquaman all along. But people paying attention would know that in the Golden Age, Aquaman had yellow gloves and... In later stories from about the early late fifties, early sixties, he had green gloves. So green. A man can't have two pairs of gloves. It's a different character. That's I think that's even referred to somewhere in the issue where someone said I didn't know there was an Aquaman or something. Or but the fact that on page one is like you know it's like oh who's this guy in the water and he looks like Aquaman in the dark and then. Given that the, most of the pages in dark colours and the final panel just pops into your eye that you can see Aquaman, you're drawn to Aquaman at the bottom of the page anyway. It's, mm-hmm. It just seemed this stupid fake drama when everyone in the, in the post feed is going, oh, who's this? What's he doing here? It's like, well, he's on, as Aquaman says, he's on your roster. You know, you might not have seen him. You might not recognise his fish face. But, you know, he's. you might just say, hello, and you are, and you go, I'm Aquaman. It's just... Do you know, we I just just like typical overblown mid sixties Marvel type drama with DC that Roy just enjoyed doing. Right, and I love when you turn the page to that huge double page splash where it literally has oh, there's got to be what twenty five heroes, thirty heroes there. It's great how some of them are just kind of standing there, and other ones are like ready to kill Aquaman, like literally. Look at Green Arrow and Speedy have their bows drawn; if they're gonna shoot an arrow at him, Vigilante's pistols are out. Like, whoa, calm down here. Yeah, it's absolutely bonkers because who on earth is going to be a threat to them? And you know, you've got some mystics on the team that would probably have sensed if there was a threat because you know you've got you've got Dr. Occult with his ama- amazing talisman which you know 
<laughs> Actually, in, in one of the one, in the previous issue, the first issue that we we didn't really go into in detail, but I think at one point when he's talking about the GSA is in, in you know is in harping in the hyperspace or whatever, and you say you know oh I, I can't I can't find them right now because my thing's out of power. It's like it's just like <laughs> Uncle Uncle Marvel with a Shazam bagel. It's like yeah I'm really powerful, but I can't do anything right now. But I'm sure. He could have sensed that Aquaman was a threat from someone, someone. You've got Doctor Fate there with his minor mystic powers now, and I, I, I don't know. They, I, Roy could have come up with some of that excuse to have everyone on the first page. Just never mind. It's an amazing, amazing page by Jones and or Coletta de Zuniga. Yeah, and I love how, if you notice in the way back there between uh, GL and Hawk Girl, somebody spilled a cup of coffee on the floor too. They they have that there. Oh, I did. <laughs> it's like, I noticed all the things, but I haven't had that's a nice detail. Yeah, all of a sudden I'm like, well, hey, they they really wanted you to know. Look out, yeah. something crazy happened. It rattled everybody. They dropped their coffee. <laughs> yeah, and uh, oh, oh yeah, it looks like the, by Liberty Bell. Are there coffee corn filters or something like in between? I'm not sure. Between Liberty Bell and the Crimson Avenger. Oh, yeah, it looks like that. Something like that's there. Yeah, there looks like a funnel and something. Yeah. There. And I, oh, I love that Batman's doing his sort of patented 1940s cover pose with, you know, one arm up in the air and the cape just, you know, pulled across his chest. Yeah, him and Robin are have batarangs in hand as if they're ready to throw them at him. And Fate has a fist in the air that's like a foot away from punching Aquaman. <laughs> it's, it's great. Like I said, some of the people are just standing there like, hey, who's this? And other ones are like ready to like, you know, murder whoever it is. <laughs> where or where is the top, his top hat? Oh, yeah, he's missing it, huh? How about it? <laughs> a story to explain that. Mm, too funny. Yeah, that's just, I just love, oh, I love that two-pager. That's just, oh, it's, it's, it's incredible. I love seeing heroes amassed like that. It's great. Mm. Oh, it's, it's just, just wonderful stuff. And it's funny, too, because this whole Aquaman interlude ends up meaning absolutely nothing in compared to the whole story here. It, it means nothing. No, it, it carries no weight or consequence for the rest of the story. <laughs> well, like, like, like I say, it's just it's just fake drama. <laughs> I can think it's Roy trying to say, yep, there was an Earth to Aquaman and here he is. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're right there, Jimmy. See, that, that'll be what it is. <laughs> what did you what did you make of it? Uh... On page, on page four, when Johnny Quick's here, now, you know, I mean, everyone's here who could be here, except the little boy Blue and the Blue Boys, and they're probably, <laughs> a, but they're too busy busting up a milk money gang or something. It's like, right, determined everybody. Yeah, and you see one of them there with a hammer and one with a horn, and another one jumping around. Looks like he's dancing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where the Oscar squad would have let little kids from the back, back street gang, because I think they, I don't think they were trained heroes like Robin the Boy Wonder. They were just like, little kids in masks and things who I think they stumble through crime scenes and find manage to beat people up somehow. Yeah, and I love the very next panel too where Libby says, well, now that all the excitement's over, let's say we get back to our meeting and Batman says, great, Liberty Bell. Robin and I were awfully busy over in Gotham City and Firebrand. We're all busy, Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she put him in his place. <laughs> yeah, but they, they did they did have Two and a half comics, probably Batman Detective and World's Finest. So, Fire Firebrand, he didn't exist. He wasn't doing anything apart from hanging around here. So, bah. Mm. But no, Wagner, I'm, I'm with Firebrand there. They was like, yes, for goodness sake, either be committed to the All Star Squadron or don't. You know, if there's business to be done, do the business and don't whinge. 
Yeah, she's kind of like put a sock in it, Batman. I like how she <laughs> she spoke right up. She wouldn't say that to Batman today, though. But the Batman yeah. of the 1940s, she can. <laughs> I think so. What's this purple, this purple object, this machine that's over their heads the whole time? Is this something that was in the real-life perisphere, do you think? Maybe it had something to do with that, because I don't ever recall them using any kind of equipment in the perisphere to, you know, uh, like a transportation thing or a laser or anything. I don't ever remember them having anything like that in there and using it to some effect. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they keep they keep they keep referencing. So Roy must have said, you know, put it in a panel. Yeah, and then we get you know Libby here trying to have her meeting, and she starts off with Doctor Colt, and he, you know, basically goes through what happened in those uh, pages of new content in issue fifty-seven that we briefly spoke about how he and Doctor Fate try to locate the JSAers, and they saw a couple of them, and you know we get another interaction between Hawkgirl and Sandy saying about you know oh hey you know. Let's just, you know, keep up a, a positive attitude that they're probably all still alive and hopefully they're uh, making their way back here. So that's basically all that happens in those uh, couple of pages there. Absolutely. And there, and there is Dr. McCullough again. Again, you know, my, my, my magic talisman assures me. Yeah, yeah, right. It's not even glowing. <laughs> that's great. And then he's like, you know, the uh, panel on uh, page six there, the top panel, he's like holding it like almost looks like he's trying to hypnotize everybody there with it. And Superman's like, what does he say? Then all we can do is wait <laughs> like he's pissed off about it. And Libby's like, I'm afraid so. So that's all we got to talk about now. Let's potentially talk about something more urgent and important. And then we switch to Johnny, who's trying to operate the equipment there and kind of admits it. He has no clue what he's doing. <laughs> Liberty Lib- 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 Bell, though, she, she is so cool. Because in, in the in the first issue, and then there's a few pages of new material in the first issue, when, when, when it's like, you know, the back, they've just come back from, some of them have just come back from uh, 1985 and no one has any memory. You know, Firebrand saying, I don't remember anything. Amazing Man saying, I can't remember anything. And Liberty Bell's basically like in an airplane film. Well, that's not important right now. You know, doesn't matter. Let's just get on with things. So, <laughs> the moment, I mean, it's like, just imagine you're in a world of ghastly villains, magical powers, mad scientists. You can't remember what, what's been happening for the last few hours. The skies are burning red. And it's like, oh, let's just get on with what we, you know, what we know right mm. now. That's <laughs> Yeah, she's all about what's right in front of her. But I do like how uh, now just after last issue where we had Tarantula uh, kind of beating up on our man. Now they're like acting like bosom buddies here while Johnny's trying to get the uh, the screen to work, the communication to work with Robot Man. They're like snickering to each other and making jokes. <laughs> true, true. But I like I like the detail where he's saying, you know, sort of I'm not I'm not used to you know, operating this usually such and such operate the thing and it's like, yeah, it would be it would be like that. You'd have people who didn't, you know, have to do the same jobs again and again. Mm-hmm. And of course, like I said, they're making fun of him saying, like, well, at least he's so fast he could probably push every button twice to see how it works. Like he should be able to figure it out. And he finally does. And then we get Robot Man on the screen and he's snappier than ever. Yeah, but that's actually quite clever because I, I, I think that's one of the few times it, when it's referenced that Super Speedy can do that kind of thing. Because I remember when, uh, did you used to read Peter Dave, Peter David's X Factor? Oh, some of it, yeah. I've read some of that. Yeah, yeah do you remember the issue in which it was, uh, in fact, there was one issue where Pietro was explaining, you know, well, he, wasn't, he didn't explain himself, but it was obvious that one of the reasons he was so cranky was because everything is so boring and so because he can do anything and then they like you know he teaches himself the piano in like about 10 seconds flat by a trial and error and it's like johnny's doing the same kind of thing i, I like seeing smart super speeding like that 
Yeah, that it does make a good point. But yeah, the two of them, like I said, that this is how I always felt they were as teammates, kind of joking around and being yeah. friendly with each other. Not like last issue where, you know, Tarantula was being a real jerk to him. I was like, wow, this is how they should be. I know. I wonder whether it's just whether it's wartime with a little on edge here or there. Yeah, that's a possibility. Think about it. That's, that's going on, plus all the superhero antics and shenanigans they have going on as well. So, yeah, good point. But, yeah, Robot Man, he looks a little interesting in this issue here. That bottom panel on that page six there, he looks a little little different there. Like, he looks very, like, he looks, you know, very, sometimes they try to make him look more human, but he looks, it, like, very robotic in that panel. He does, yet. Yeah. Didn't he used to have a, a flap at the back of his head? Where's that gone? Like, like a my mm-hmm. old man's a I flap at the back of his head, but he, but again though he's he's so out of character here. And when I was reading this at first, I was thinking you know, he's been he's been taken over by mechanic because he's just act, acting so phew, weird. Yeah, like I don't want to say he's acting like he's evil, but he's definitely not acting in the best interests of the All Star Squadron. Which, like we said, up until these last couple of issues, he always seemed to you know even though he might be down on himself a little bit about. You know, just having his you know human brain inside a robot body, but he never showed any kind of signs of this. You know, coming down the road. Yeah, too true. But but then again, we do get that, that explanation where he's telling he's telling Johnny Johnny Quick, you know, are you really certain you recognise that I have a human brain if I showed up as a stranger on your doorstep? But then again, if he showed up as a stranger on the doorstep, he he probably wouldn't start attacking everybody. Yeah, see, that's what the thing is. Like that's why it seems a little out of character for a robot man because. Again, he does have a human brain, and he's a super intelligent guy, too. So it doesn't make sense that, you know, he would basically think it's okay for a robot to show up and start attacking, you know what I mean, and and act as if she's or it's trying to hurt somebody and then want to defend, you know, the robot. That that seems a little out of character on top of him being, you know, a bit more uh, aggressive than usual. Exactly. And, then, you know, why is the mechanic, you know, of observing this, Isaac Asimov, first law of robotics about not harming humans. Had not, maybe they hadn't invented it in 1942. In fact, they hadn't had this. So, mechanic, <laughs> the bad robot. Bad robot. <laughs> yeah, but I like how, you know, him and his uh, buddy, is it Dr. Grayson, I think, you know, they basically say, we've, you know, fixed the robot and we're using our equipment here to power it up, to start it up and, you know, make everything all right with the robot. So, that doesn't sit well with the team. And it's funny how they say, like, we're going to take a vote. And Libby says, a vote's been called for, Robot Man. Will you agree to abide by our decision? And he says, what do you think? <laughs> I kind of wish he would have been like, hell no. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, Because what do you think? I don't know what that means. What is he thinking? Yes, no, maybe, forget yeah. it. Like, I don't. Yeah, we, we do find out when they're doing the vote. Everyone's going, yes, no, yes. And he's like, Robot Man, I refuse to recognize this vote. However, he's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. One missed opportunity though, when 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 you know you have you have this panel there where, where you know where Gray, you know Chuck Chuck Grayson's there, and you got Superman and Batman on on the screen. When when and Robman just said, "This is my assistant, Chuck Grayson," and you don't have a a single word balloon from Batman thinking, "I wonder if he's related to Dick." And I think he was in the end. I think at some point. Yeah, I think at some point they do make that connection, and it's funny. Yeah, because Batman has one, you know. One line here, and he says, is this true, Robot Man? Have you actually repaired a robot that knocked Firebrand through a wall, nearly electrocuted Liberty Bell? But yeah, like you said, it would have been nicer. They give that line to Superman and then have uh, Batman think to himself, Grayson, hmm, I wonder if it's related to Dick Grayson. You know, that would have been better. 
Yeah. <laughs> but Grayson and Robert, man, they've got a real Frankenstein and ego vibe going on in that lab. <laughs> yeah, they do. Oh, man. So what about page nine, too? We got another page of all the superheroes here, you know, in this one big uh, block. And I think overall it looks pretty good, but the Flash stuck out to me. He looks really odd. Oh, he does, doesn't he? You know, the second tier of panels. Man, so, so does Green Arrow, of course. I, I'd forgotten he had yeah. brown hair sometimes in the golden age. And, ah, yes. I suppose there's not, not a lot you can do when, you, when you've got to do, like, I don't know, 34 <laughs> heads like that. But as I was tweeting out this week, I, I just, I think Pooh's Atari just gets the short end of the stick because everyone's getting a little headshot. And then at the bottom, you have a bigger headshot of Liberty Bell, and she's going, and Zatara, and he's a little, a tiny little word balloon at the end of the panel for the page. Yes, yes, says Zatara. <laughs> yeah, why? Yeah, yeah, why couldn't they have had two small, two more small panels with you know Libby and him? They have plenty of room there, and like make her be the last one, and say like, yeah. oh, those are all the votes, or make her be the first one, or something like that. But yeah, that was, he kind of got yeah, got the short shrift here. I don't know why they did that to him. It's just so bizarre and so very unfair. <laughs> yeah, and then Robot Man's pissed off and he's like, I don't care about your stupid vote. And he's like, butt out, goodbye. And he hangs up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He tells them where to go. But yeah, then Libby kind of says, well, we need to go, you know, confront him basically. And, and he volunteers and GL steps up right away. Uh, and he does say, uh, I don't know Robot Man very well, so at least, you know, there'll be no question of, you know, personal animosity, which is a good point. You know, if somebody else that's, you know, got a beef with Robot Man that's been on the team and lately has problems with him, you know, that would maybe affect the mission here a little bit. So that's a good idea. And then we have <laughs> Airwave here that's like, oh, maybe I could detect any potential menace the robot may present. And Sir Justin, you know, oh, Firebrand says, oh, I'll go, you know, you know, this will be, you know. I was the first person the robot attacked, and I thought, yeah, you kind of have a bad temper, though, uh, Firebrand. I don't know if you should go, but Sir Justin, right away, I'll go. I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. Rekindling the flame there, pardon the pun. Too true, but they needed one more one more member to buy, because you've got, you know, you've got Mr. You know, Mr. Greenland, you know, I've got, I've got no beef. Mr. Airwave, I might be useful. Firebrand, I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> a fancy Firebrand. They could have had maybe one person who was close to, close to Robot Man on the team, someone that, you know, one of the ones that you always hung out with, like Johnny Quick or somebody like that, just someone might be, the, you know, someone that you might feel a bit more comfortable having there as well. Yeah, would it, that, that was a, kind of a strange, you know, uh, pairings there, you know, to get off the team going here. So that was kind of weird. I didn't, like I said, I was like, kind of like, uh, Sir Justin and Brandy, that didn't make sense. But GL, okay, like I said, Airwaves, I don't being able to detect, you know, uh, powers and potential menace and stuff like that. Okay, I get that too. But the other two were like, mm, that's kind of a weird one. But yeah, I was they do. Thrilled, thrilled to be with that. I mean, are you how familiar are you with Golden Age Airwave? No, not at all. Mm -mm. Oh, he's so cool. He, he had roller skates. He'd run. He'd run. He'd run along the the, the electric wires over the streets. He he had. I think he had a parrot. He was a public defender. He was, and you know. Obviously, at this point, he's, he's looked on as quite a low-powered hero, but in years to come, his son, you know, becomes Mesa, one of the captains of industry, and, you know, very, very powerful. But it's just wonderful that Roy's gone super, super obscure, you know, and just picked someone out there just to give us a, a bit of a change. Because, I, I mean, I do I do love, love the, you know, the, the regulars of, you know, Firebrand, Liberty Bell, Johnny Quick, Robot Man. But it's so nice to see someone a bit different there. 
Yeah, yeah. Throwing somebody a bit different in every once in a while that you don't see very often is pretty cool. I like that Roy. You know, he was, you know, such a golden age guy. He really wanted to get some, you know, even if it was just, you know, one issue or a couple of panels here and there, he wanted to get as many characters out there as he could. I'll always have, you know, respect for him for that for sure. Oh, man. And then, yeah, back to Robot Man's lab here, him and uh, Dr. Grayson, and they're firing up this crazy machinery. And the four uh, heroes show up. And like I said, it doesn't take long, you know, (laughs) for Robot Man to lose his temper and for them to lose their temper as well. And the next thing you know, it's a a huge fight here. But, yeah, he tries to backhands GL, man. He really hits smacks him hard there, like almost knocks him completely out for a while. Well, I mean, I mean, the violence of that, but bottom of page page 15 30 i can't tell which is from the 13 page 13 13 I mean, yeah he's not holding back i mean he you know he's 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 very hard metal green lantern flesh and blood he's not he's not using the law to protect him at any at that point to me that is way over the top and that that would have i would have asked for a hank pym type court martial it's just that is not how you deal with your colleagues yeah, it's a little, like I said, it's a little off base for Robot Man. I feel like, you know, when the panel shows GL blasting with his ring, if he would have, like, grabbed his hand and, like, forced it away from, you know, the equipment and, like, towards the ceiling or something, but instead he just clobbers them. And, yeah, that's the, I don't, you know, like, 10, 15 issues ago, you would have never thought Robot Man would do that. No, he wouldn't have been capable. I do like on, on the same page, we've got, as well as all the fantastic Kirby dots. You've got, I mean, Airwave in the centre of the page when he's confronting Robot Man, you know, warning him of the explosion potential here. I just think he looks very cool, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, that, and like you said, the Kirby crackle all over there looks neat, too. And, yeah, his costume looks really cool there. I like it with the lightning bolt on it. Yeah, it's it's, it's nice. It's just, it's the same way. I, I don't know. I don't know. I've not read the Young All-Star series, which I do have now, but does he turn, does Airwave turn up in there? Because he's a younger hero. Yeah, not sure on that one at all. I've read zero of that. That's my homework. I've got I've got them all there, so I need to read them. And then, yeah, he uh, ends up punching out Airwave, too, uh, as Sir Justin starts, you know, slashing through a lot of the equipment with his uh, sword there. But it's, uh, it, you know, we have Firebrand. She tries to be, you know, instead of a hothead, she tries to be the voice of reason here. And she said, you've got to stop fighting Rob before somebody gets killed. But <laughs> he comes out right at her too, and the next thing you know, the machinery keeps getting crazier and crazier. Turns on that jetpack. Tell me, I've, have I forgotten? Or did, did 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 Robert Man have extendable arms? Well, the- yeah, that page looks that panel looks crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think there was another one in the issue somewhere where again it looks like he's stretching a little bit, but uh, it's rather impressive if he can do that. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was just a an artistic gaffe there or they were trying to make it look like it was extending. I, I wasn't sure what to think of that yeah. one because nowhere else does it look like that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to assume he, he's upgraded himself at the same time. <laughs> yeah, then that big shroom, big explosion. And, you know, him and Sir Justin are trying to, you know, fight there. But they he right away, you know, you've destroyed her. And she, uh, Brandy says, stop, Rob. She was only a robot. And he said, if she was only a robot, then so am I. And again, it's like, what what is he using for his reasoning behind this? He doesn't know that that <laughs> if it is all robot or has a human brain. And he's obviously has a human brain and the robot body and he had different circumstances. So he seems to be really, you know, fighting uh, very hard for mechanique here when he knows very little about her. And given, and given Jimmy, given that him and Chuck have been redesigning the body, giving her better lines and the curves, 
he will have looked and he will at this stage know whether there's a human brain there. He will know that she's, you know, well, I, I don't want to spoil the next issue, but he will know a little more of the nature of this creature. Yeah, I don't know if like Roy was like angling that like he had some kind of a breakdown or something here, maybe, you know, I, I'm not sure. But boy, that last page is something else, too, because poor Firebrand. Well, I shouldn't say poor Firebrand. She melts off Robot Man's legs and he goes down for the count. But then zap, I'm sorry, zapped. She gets a hit with a blast uh, from behind by Mechanique. And then she's out for the count again. And we get one of my favorite lines ever in comics. Good gravy from Airwave. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that was that was one of the exclamations that you used to get in comics in the fifties quite a lot. So it's nice to see it again. But, but I mean, I, I love Firebrand blasting, fusing Roadman's legs together because I forget how powerful she is. You know how how mm-hmm. well, because she's not like Johnny Storm or Green Flame Fire. She doesn't you know she doesn't get the fire all over her body. So it's it's quite rare. I mean, even he, but you, you can see that she's got her hairs on fire, which you you never normally see as well. So it's just great to see how powerful she is. Mm-hmm. And, and poor Robot Man, we have seen him get his legs melted before. I can't remember what issue it was, but there was one where him and Commander Steel were, I don't know if they were like, there was a bank robbery going on or something like that. And they, the robbers had this crazy tank, an experimental tank or something, and had a flamethrower and melted his legs. <laughs> Yeah, but he's, he's a lot luckier than Doom Patrol Robot Man who gets something pulled off every every other issue. It's like a drinking game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> That's great. We talked to our buddy Paul Hicks. He'd probably laugh at that one, too. <laughs> oh, I mean, honestly, I tell you. But uh, what mm. just an excellent, excellent issue, really. I mean, do you, do you think it's one of the top ones in the run? Yeah, oh, that was, yeah, this, this little storyline here is you know, has built up to be very fun, very good. And, you know, like we said, it's, you know, with the crisis being involved, it was really tough for Roy to, you know, churn out some good stories here at the end. But I think this one is really good. I think it's up there with any of them. Yeah, and it's, given that it does turn out to be the, you know, the last of the proper All-Star Squadron storyline before it goes into lots and lots of secret origins, it's, it's a great one to go out on. Yeah, for sure. So, all right, well, anything else uh, you want to say about these issues, uh, Mark? Let me have a little thing. I'll go into my head, i.e. my iPad screen, see any note of anything amazing, mm-hmm. which is highly unlikely. But oh, actually, I was talking previously about uh, what's the point of doing the harpoon into hyperspace or Shanghai into space, whatever storylines. Mm-hmm. But it's nice that occasionally Roy does have something like in, in the Atom storyline in 57 when Atom's on one of the one of the pseudo-solar system planets and Atom's got super, you know, super strength and leaping abilities, and he's saying, thinking to himself, you know, oh, I wish I had real atomic power, book Roger style, in my everyday life. And obviously, that's sort of, you know, presaging his future power upgrade from Roy. Roy likes his little bit of sort of, kind of, sort of irony in there, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some foreshadowing there for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I, what I didn't get, I, again, I don't, I don't think it was ever. I haven't read all the original All Star comics. But oh, cat, sorry, cat briefly visiting. He <laughs> was bringing me tea, and I, every, at the end of all of those adventures, they all they all get they all get a little orgasmatron or something from the grateful people that have helped. And at the end of the original All Star Squadron story, and I think it was also Comics Thirteen, nothing happens with those objects again. I think someone occasionally thinks in the stories, that, in the shorts, that, you know, this will help the war effort, but. 
again. Nothing, nothing comes. I don't know. I don't know what Gordon the Fox was doing, and I, I, I can't blame Roy in there. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anything ever came of that either. Like you said, so kind of just a, a fun sci-fi story for the time, I guess. But really, you know, sort of meaningless in the grand scheme. And one, one little change I know in the Wonder Woman story, there's one page in the original where she's she's introducing herself to the girl, the people of Venus. And she just, you know, she just says, I'm an Earth girl. And then again, later she says, I'm an Earth girl. In both instances, Roy pulled that dialogue out and had, you know, I'm a humanoid from Earth or something like that. I don't think it's just, I don't think it's demeaning or anything like that. No, uh-uh. no, I don't think, I don't think so either. I agree with you on that. Yeah. And you also, in that same story, in the, in, in the original, I'm going, sorry, I'm going to far more too much detail of stories that we don't need to discuss, but it just amused me that uh, the, the men of Venus, Fight, fight these invading and marauding meteor men who attack the planet, and whereas whereas the women are like fairy people, the men are in these amazing flouncy outfits. And in the original story, it's not commented upon. I think one of one of the meteor men in 1942, whatever it calls, refers to one of the men, the men of Venus as a violet, a little violet. But it, it, Roy Thomas hangs a lampshade and says, "You know, they may look foppish, but they're great fighters." Again, it doesn't matter, you know. Just, just assume that Venus is one great Met Ball or something. You know, they they like to dress. We don't. But I, I love Richard Howe's take on the original H.G. Peter artwork. It was lovely stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like we said, you know, even if the stories are just kind of, you know, a little lackluster, uh, the artwork's pretty good in most of them. Like I said, that Starman one was really good. The Wonder Woman one was really good. So they're they're definitely worth checking out, you know, for sure. Even though we're not going super in-depth on them, they're worth checking out these, you know, redos and, you know, the original one. You want to check that out one as well. It's it's fun to look at. Absolutely. And, we know, when DC Comics finally brings out the All-Star Squadron Omnibus, hello, DC Comics, I'll, it'll be nice to see them in pristine colors on lovely paper mm, yeah we can we can only hope i think it'll happen someday i don't know how long it'll take but i think someday that'll come down the line i'm just fingers crossed but i think it will if we keep throwing it out into the zeitgeist billy it will happen mm-hmm. just keep doing it we'll, we'll just keep doing it so all right well uh that's gonna wrap up our three issues here uh we did get uh, an email so i'll go over that quickly that is from a friend of the show uh steven shen um I think he's, you know, he's told me a couple of times he's really behind on his podcast, podcast listening because uh, super busy with work. Uh, but he said, uh, enjoy the Doc Fate origin and JSA secret origin run through. Uh, he said, though, I had a weird tech experience. <laughs> I guess some of the volume uh, wasn't coming in in stereo for some reason on headphones. But um, uh, I said to him, I said, oh, we had a blast. I said, that's when Ross came on and guested with me and we covered those two issues. And uh, but uh, he said, uh, no worries. Just thought I'd mention if you uh, recently changed recording methods, which I didn't, but I did have a, a little bit of a uh, an audio issue uh, on that one. So I think that was just a one-off. I haven't had any issues since. So uh, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, everything's good going forward. So he said, uh, take care, Billy and friends, and keep them flying. So thank you, Stephen, for uh, chiming in. Love hearing from everybody, whether it's on Twitter or through email, anything like that at all. Love hearing from everybody. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure tonight's audio will be... <laughs> It'll be <laughs> so. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that's going to wrap this one up. So, Mart, uh, if anybody wants to uh, follow you around, where can they do so? Oh, you can find me at my blog, Too Dangerous for a Girl. And I'm on Twitter at DangerMart. And I'm hither, hither and yon here and here and there. But Thank you so much for letting me discuss these issues. I'm so jealous of whoever gets to talk about next issue because that's another cracker. 
Mm-hmm. That's going to be our buddy Sean. Yeah, he was uh, jonesing for a Liberty Bell. So he and I are going to cover that next issue, which is going to wrap up uh, with uh, Mechanique. And then it's going to uh, lead into the next issue, which is, uh, like you said uh, earlier, you alluded to it when uh, Roy kind of starts doing the spotlights, you know, profiles on each one. And the first one up is Liberty Bell. So, yeah, looking forward to that. It should be fun. Yes, indeed. I'll I'll be listening. All right. So everybody, thank you for listening. As always, we appreciate your support and we will talk to you next time. Bye all.